for any of you who are in any type of relationship, whether it be uh, uh, you're an aunt or an uncle or you're dating or you're married or you have parents or what have you, you have probably been in that situation where the two of you are just not getting it. You're just not. You, you might maybe, you know, again, not to overgeneralize, but oftentimes men try to fix stuff. And so they're, they're in that role and they're trying to do their thing. And so uh, there gets to be conflict. And uh, sometimes what happens is you try so hard to be right. This has never happened to me. <laughs> that you don't get it right. You try so hard to, to make your point, to, to, to try to fix the problem or to try to, 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 to figure out who's to blame or to try to figure out, you know, whose agenda are we going to follow? You, you try so hard to be right that you don't uh, get it right. And so uh, I want to talk about that this morning. I want to talk about how do we, in all our relationships, and this, this, this was a couple, but it could be you and your boss. It could be you and your boss have this conversation and your boss comes into your cubicle or however your drives up on the job site or what have you. And, and, and you just know there's going to be a conflict. You know there's going to be blame. You know there's going to be uh, all these things. You might, this might happen in, in your family. Maybe somebody in your family is a Democrat. And so someone in your family is a Republican. Now, I love using those two words because I know our church, and we're split right about down the middle. Uh, all the Democrats are on this side, by the way. And, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, and so uh, uh, that when even to say that word, whichever one it was, kind of gets your stomach a little boiled up because you just know, you just know how wrong they are. You just know they're wrong. Why can't they see how wrong they are? Insert political party here. How come they can't? Well, what I want to talk about this morning is the idea. Actually, it's from the Bible, but it's probably been made most famous in Stephen Covey's book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Okay, so uh, we will get to the Bible. I promise we'll spend the whole uh, morning in the Bible. But this is where it comes from. And it's the idea of seeking first to understand. Seeking first to understand. Uh, and in, uh, in a, there's a book called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. And he, he talks about, uh, this guy Patrick uh, Lencioni talks about this, um, this idea of how, how teams communicate. And so there's, there's advocacy and there's inquiry. Those teams that are dysfunctional are people made up of advocacy. I've got to get my point across. I have to get my project funded. I've got to get my agenda done. I've got to make sure I advance my career. That's advocacy. I need to win the argument. I need to be right. Inquiry says, I know I don't know everything. This might be hard for some of you to hear. Uh, I know I don't know everything, so instead of trying to get my agenda, my idea, let's see how we can get the best agenda and the best idea. So inquiry says, I want to listen to you. I want to listen to where you're coming from. I want to listen to what's going on in your heart. And, and maybe we can come up together, even though we might disagree on certain aspects, with the best idea. That's inquiry. Now, what's really interesting, fascinating to me, is that before Stephen Covey even wrote uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, the Bible has been talking about this similar idea. 
about trying to understand where another person is coming from. Now, I'm just going to set you up quickly. This is very, very hard to do. Because we come with certain baggage into every relationship we have. Yes, even you do. You come in with insecurities that may have started since you were a little kid. You might not even know which ones they are. You might not even know why, but you come into every relationship with them. You come into every relationship with bias and prejudice. You say, I'm not prejudiced. You're human. So you come into every relationship with a bias and a prejudice, with certain ideas that you had. Maybe it was through your upbringing. Maybe it's because you live in America. Maybe it's because of whatever. But you, you, you come in with insecurities. You come in with bias and prejudice. You come in with brokenness. Right? We talked about that for a while in this series. You come in with your brokenness. And that's how we get wounded. When my brokenness... Uh, interacts with your hurtfulness, it creates a debt that can't be repaid. And that's why we talked about forgiveness. So you come in with your brokenness. And so as you come into these different things, if, if, the, if your agenda is advocacy, to be right, to, to, to have your way, you are going to have a very difficult time in all your relationships. And so I want us to be a church that thinks differently, that thinks, okay, Maybe you are on the other side of the aisle politically. Maybe you are on the other side of the aisle of of how you might raise your kids. Maybe you're on the other side of the aisle of what you think church should look like. Maybe you're on the other side of the aisle of, of how you run your family or how you interact in business. But maybe, maybe the church is the place, the only place where different people can get together and share ideas And look for inquiry instead of advocacy. Now I know there are some topics in the church where you point to the Bible and and you say, well, the the Bible says this and that. And and I get that. I, I totally understand. But I think the church is the place, the place where we can have these conversations in safety. That we can have these conversations because we know we share one thing in common. A heavenly father that loves us. The heavenly father that we talked about. And sung about earlier today. So what I want to do is I'm going to read a little section of scripture. uh, That the apostle Paul wrote to a church in Philippi. It's a letter. And the letter, uh, he was really um, happy with this church. Uh, He was really um, pleased with it. They, 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 They were givers. They, they would serve. And they got along. Okay. Uh, if, you, if you have a church that is filled with people who give and who serve and get along, you are a blessed pastor. Okay? Now, not to get too gushy and mushy, but I feel like that's the church I lead. Like when I talk about you guys, when I talk about Living Spring, I talk about your heart. I talk about how you get along. Even though I know that there's a lot of places where you might disagree with each other. And so, if I wrote a letter to Living Spring, it would be the book of Philippians, okay? So here we go. He says this in Philippians 2, 3. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Now, what I'm very happy about is that this verse (laughs) 
really sums up Memorial Day, does it not? The men and women who gave the ultimate sacrifice for our country that served, they, 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 they regarded somebody else more important than themselves. That's what we celebrate. We celebrate. They, they are the living fulfillment of this, of this verse. And so when Rihanna was saying, thank you for your service, those who've, who've been, who've served, and then uh, those, we've all had people in our families who we've maybe lost or uh, um, that have served or what have you. We just, we owe you a great debt of gratitude that we can't repay. So thank you very much. But Paul is talking to the church. He's saying, if, if you're going to get this church thing to work, if you're going to get different people from different races and different socioeconomic backgrounds, and if you're going to truly embrace the diversity that God has, has baked into our humanity, God has baked in diversity. Whether it's what we look like on the outside or how we are on the inside or what have you. God has baked diversity into it. If the church is going to reflect that, going to reflect that diversity, this is what you need. Now we look at words like selfishness and empty conceit. And because those are so far on the spectrum, you know, selfish and like conceited, you might be tempted to say, well, that's not really me. So don't focus on those words. Go to the next phrase. But with humility of mind. Humility of mind. Can you imagine what all your relationships would look like if both parties stepped into conversations, stepped into situations with humility of mind? That's somebody who wants to get it right rather than wanting to be right. So he goes on. Uh, Do not merely look out for your own personal interests but also for the interests of others. Okay, so that's, that's pretty obvious. That would be the next step. If, if, you have, if you have humility of mind, you're not just looking for yourself. You're not looking out for your own personal interests. You're also looking out for the interests of those around you. And then he just puts it home. If you have any questions about what's supposed to happen, he says, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. In other words, in other words, in your relationships, be like Christ. Now, this is fascinating to me because when you look at Jesus, um, Jesus wasn't just, he didn't just say, well, whatever you guys want. You know, well, I don't know. I don't, you know. Jesus was commanding his disciples, get in the boat, <laughs> right? He didn't say, hey, you guys, um, you know, let's take, a, let's take a vote. Who would like to go, uh, you know, to, uh, you know, Capernaum, you know, the, he, he was leading. And so you might be in a position of power. You might be a boss. You might be a parent. You might be, um, uh, you know, a, a, on a board or something. And you be, you're in a position of authority. Jesus has no problem with that. Jesus has no problem with you leading. He has no problem. He has no problem with you making decisions. He has no problem with you uh, if you've been placed in that position, if you're a politician or what have you. It, it doesn't, he doesn't have any problem with that. It's the humility of mind. Why am I making the decision this way? Why am I coming at it this way? How am I treating the people I'm serving? Am I, am I truly serving? Or am I doing this for my own gain? Am I doing it for my own career? This is the humility of mind that Jesus was doing and what, it, what, what the reason Jesus did it so well was because he was connected to his heavenly father. 
He said, I'm not going to do anything my heavenly father wouldn't have me do. I'm not going to say anything my heavenly father wouldn't have me say. With humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. So here's the problem. One of the problems. In your relationships, you need to be like Christ. (laughs) Which can be really hard when you're talking to your boss. Because you don't want to be like Christ. You want to be like whatever it is that would take your boss out, <laughs> okay? I had a, uh, a gentleman in my life when I first uh, got out of college. Um, I started at a company. Lisa and I were newly married, and um, this guy, uh, we'll call him Jay, okay? Because that was his name. And um, no, it actually wasn't his name. I just, I just, I never get tired of that joke, and I'm going to say it for the rest of my life. Okay, so Jay, so Jay, uh, I, I got there, and Jay was about two years older than me. So if I was 24, he'd be 26. And, uh, and so I, 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 I came into the office, and whether I was a threat to him or whatever, I don't know, but I could not stand Jay, okay? I couldn't stand him. I, he was, he was narcissistic. He uh, constantly had to be right. He constantly had to show that he was in authority. We all dressed, you know, we, at the office because in, in the, where I worked, you'd work in the office, but you'd also go down to the warehouse. You wouldn't wear a suit and tie and all that because um, it, it just it wasn't, it didn't work. But he wore a, a tie and, and, and all these things. And the, the story that really kind of encapsulates who Jay was um, we were down in the warehouse, and I was checking some merchandise out, and, um, and uh, Jay was at a pallet that was like halfway down the warehouse, and he told one of the warehouse workers, hey, put these two cases on this pallet, and they were just like little, little cases. And the guy said to Jay, in, in different language than what I'm about to use, um, he said, um, maybe you you could please put those two cases on the pallet. Something to that effect. Okay. And Jay, Jay says this. No, I work in the office and this is why I work upstairs and you work downstairs. Okay. You hate Jay just as much as I did now. <laughs> Mission accomplished. Everybody hates Jay. No. So I'm just, I just, he, I, he drove me nuts. I hated driving to work. I hated driving to work. I hated being at work. I hated, if Jay was sick, it was just like, oh, finally. You know, it just, it was horrible. And, but here's the problem. God didn't care. Jesus didn't say, well, man, you know what? With humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Except for Jay. Trust me. When I was on earth, I had some Jays in my life. Let me tell you. No, he didn't care. He's like, how are you going to deal with this? How are you going to be Christ in this situation? And I'm like, well, let's see. You turned over some tables. I could do that. Um, you called people a uh, brood of vipers. I could do that, right? No, God began to, so I began to pray, pray for him. And I began to see if I could seek to understand Jay. And so I began to change my whole persona around him. I decided I was going to learn from Jay, which I secretly didn't feel I could learn anything. But what I began to learn was Jay was flawed. Jay's upbringing and his 
narcissism was just coming out of insecurity. I began to see Jay, and I believe God had given me this thing uh, like a little kid. Like a little kid. If a six-year-old said, I work upstairs, you work downstairs, I'd be like, eh, whatever, he's just a little kid, right? And so God began to change my heart. And so I began to see Jay differently. Now, it, I knew this was true because one day uh, they fired him on his birthday, which is, we're not going to do that June. Okay, we're not going to fire you. Okay, you're safe. You're safe. Right? They fired him on his birthday. And I was so, I felt so sad for him. I, I had to go to another location. We had these two warehouses. I went to another location and I unloaded a container by myself because I didn't want to be anywhere near Jay's firing him. Well, that's what the Lord did for me. He changed my heart about Jay. Now, I don't tell you this. I tell you this story because it's like the only time I've done it and it actually worked. So, uh, no, I, I tell you this story because it does work. That as we become like Christ, as we clothe ourselves with humility of mind as Christ did, and we regard one another as more important than ourselves, our relationships get better, not worse. Now again, if you're being abused, if you're being, you know, trodden upon or whatever, then sometimes it's best just to remove yourself from that relationship rather than just kind of going in every day for a beating, okay? You don't, you don't need to do that. But you know what I'm talking about, and you know the relationships I'm talking about, where if you could just humble yourself, maybe humble your mind, maybe when you go to the next family gathering, and you know there's going to be that cousin, that nephew, that uncle, that you know, family member, to be able to go, this time, I'm going to come with humility of mind, okay? Now, how do we do that? How do we, how do we, how do we do it? I mean, there's got to be a, some, a, a, some steps, right? Well, fortunately, James uh, wrote some what we call wisdom literature. And we also call it the book of James. Because for whoever named all these books, no creativity, okay? So James, who happened to be Jesus' half-brother wrote this book of wisdom literature. And we've, we've done a couple series on James. And what, like I've said before, um, J, I believe James has ADD. Uh, when you read his writings, he's all over the map. He's, uh, you know, he'll be talking about this, and then two chapters later, he'll talk about it again or whatever. So when I teach the book of James, I edit it first, and I put everything where it's supposed to go into nice categories, because while he's ADD, I'm OCD, and so me and James get along really well. We make a really good team. And so, so James comes up with this thing that I think is the key, or at least one of the keys, to how do we approach our relationships with humility of mind. And it's in James chapter 1. And um, have, you ever, have you ever been listening to a sermon and you're just like, you know what, that just doesn't apply to me? Like maybe the pastor's talking about marriage and you're single. Or maybe the pastor's talking about um, sin and you're perfect. Or whatever, whatever the thing is, you get to a, a, a thing and you're just like, that just, didn't, that just didn't apply to me. Well, here's what James says. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must. Everyone. Everyone. Turn to the person next to you or not, and say, that means you. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Everyone. You're not getting out of this one. Okay. And think about how important this is to James. Again, James is talking to the church. 
James is talking to uh, a bunch of Christians. Now, again, if you're not a Christian yet, or you don't believe the Bible, or if you don't uh, believe in God or whatever, uh, James is talking to Christians. So you might just be off the hook, but I guarantee you, if you follow it, your relationships will get better. So no matter where you are, but James says, everyone must, it's mandatory, it's imperative that you do what comes next. And when you see what comes next, you're going to go, yeah, that actually makes sense. Okay. Everyone must. This, you know, brother, beloved, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear. Quick to hear. Now, that doesn't mean hear. Okay. Because, you know, husbands and wives or people with relationships, you've been in conversations where the person is hearing they're not listening, right? They're, they're, they're getting the sound waves are coming in to the, you know, to the hair follicles and to the eardrum is vibrating and they're nodding their head like this. So you know it's working. They're hearing. They don't need a hearing aid. They need a listening aid. Have you ever had that conversation where you say, you're not, what, hearing me? That's what, Okay. So that, that's what happens in, our, in all of our relationships where you're talking and you're explaining yourself and you're sitting on the other end going, are you, am I speaking another language? Okay. I'm like, what, what's going on? Maybe I'm the only one. But never with my spouse, just the other relationships that I have. <laughs> Quick, if, if you were writing this in Stephen Covey language, you would say, but everyone seek first to understand. Jesus was so into this hearing, he would tell parables and he'd say, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, you might have heard a nice story about the prodigal son or about the woman who lost a coin or you might have heard this great story that I told, but there's something underneath all of it. He who has ears to hear, let them hear. Be quick to hear. Now, if you're going into a conversation, if you're going into a situation where your thing is advocacy, you want to get your point across, this becomes very, very difficult. As a matter of fact, the time that you use to not talk is just your time to reload. <laughs> it's your time to like, look, get, get over with what you're ever going to say because I, I, I got seven more rounds in the chamber. Okay, that, that are doozies. And they're going to win this argument for sure. Jesus says this, uh, James says this, be quick to listen. Be quick to seek to understand what the person is saying. Now, now, now imagine, I'm going to be asking this question a lot. Imagine what your relationships look like. What your dating relationship looks like. What your marriage relationship, family, neighbors. If you would just be quick to go, oh, I know. They're scared. Oh, I know. They're insecure. Oh, I hear what's going on. They need to be right. I'm going to back off of that. Be quick to hear. He goes on. Well, let me show you. I, I forgot I put these down because they're really awesome. Um, Proverbs 18, 13 says this. He who gives an answer before he hears... It is folly and shame to him. Have you ever done that? 
Have you ever given an answer before you got to hear the whole thing and the person is like, what are you talking about? I wasn't even going to say that. I, I've done that before, like, like once or twice. It is folly and shame to him. We have to listen. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear. And then he goes on, this you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear. <sighs> Nuts. Slow to speak. Slow to speak. The Greek language in here is not just slow in time, but it's, it almost paints this picture of, hmm, with that new information now, I don't know how to respond. Because I've listened, I heard, and now my position may have changed. In other words, the idea I listened because I wanted to understand what was going on and now I have to reformulate. I didn't formulate an opinion first and the idea of speaking is just to data dump it out. It, you, know what it, you know what it actually says in the Greek is dull. Like it, it actually means you're stupid to speak, slow to speak. Like, boy, I don't know. Man, now I don't even know if I have a point. Let me think about that. Now again, God knows you're not dumb and, or dull or whatever. But it's saying if you take that posture, that when I'm listening to you, there's a good chance that you might actually convince me otherwise. So I'm going to really listen. That's what it means to be slow to speak. There's a great proverb we'll look at right after this, but it's just awesome. And it's so true. But slow to speak is, is, is what humility of mind means. And I'll tell you that, that how slow it might be. And again, I don't use this as an example in my life. It's just the one I thought of. But uh, uh, besides being the pastor, I'm um, on a board. I chair this board for our denomination. And that board made some decisions. Um, and I had to be at a part of that process. And in the process of me doing that job... I offended a friend of mine because I, I, was, I was doing the position and he didn't feel like I was being, I, I, was doing, I was like doing my job first and was a friend second. And so he said, I want to get together. I want to just tell you my grievance. And we've been friends for a long time. And so he began to share. He was upset with me. He was upset with me. Now I could have taken one of two postures. I could have taken advocacy and gone, hey, hold on, just, what did you just say there? Mm -mm, that's actually not what happened. What happened was this. And so you, you're, if you're not even going to do your own research, I get, that's advocacy. Inquiry goes, I can see, I can see how that, that upsets you. I get it. Now, that was a month ago. I haven't gone back and revisited it yet. Because I felt like God was telling me, you need to be slow in this process. So I let him unload. I let him do his things. We hugged afterwards, all that kind of stuff. But I didn't defend myself. And again, not because I'm perfect. I'm just shocked is really all I'm sharing is that I, I, I didn't. I didn't because I really felt like God was telling me to not do that. Now, here's what happens with us when we're talking. If I'm in a conversation on this side and you're in a conversation with me on that side and I'm talking, guess who can't talk? You, right? It wasn't a trick question. But guess who else can't talk if I'm talking? The Holy Spirit. 
See, if I'm talking, I can't listen to the Holy Spirit who might be saying, hey, 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 quiet, don't say that. Don't stop. Just stop. Don't say it. You know what I'm saying? If I'm trying to get it out, I got to get my point across. I got to, the Lord might be sitting back going, just shaking his head. This is how I think the Lord speaks to me a lot. I think he goes like this. Oh. <laughs> I think that's what he does. I don't know. But, but, but it's like you can't hear him if you're talking. Now imagine what your relationships would look like if you were quick to hear from the person. What are they really saying? What, what, what is it that maybe I'm missing? And then you were quick to hear the Holy Spirit, Lord. What would you have me say? Maybe I'm going to not respond right away because I need to hear your voice before they hear my voice. Does that make sense? Slow to speak. This proverb is so true. Where there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. <laughs> But he who restrains his lips is wise, slow to speak, quick to hear. I want to listen. I want to know your underlying, why, why do you believe that? What are your reasons? What's going on? What, maybe there's some facts or some things that I, I, haven't, I don't understand yet, I haven't seen yet. And then slow to speak. It says this, he who restrains his words has knowledge. Why is it all He. What about she? Okay, I'm going to change it just in the interest of being fair. She who restrains her words has knowledge and she who has a cool spirit. Oh, that's cool. A cool spirit is a woman of understanding. A cool spirit. Okay. Even fools are thought wise if they keep silent. Isn't that true? You know, if you're ever in a meeting and you don't know what's going on, just don't open your mouth and you'll be fine. And discerning if they hold their tongues. Listen to Proverbs 18.2. A fool does not delight in understanding, but only in revealing his own mind. Well, that's the crux of it all right there, isn't it? I have a position. I have a thought. I have an agenda. I have a belief. I have a bias. I have a a prejudice. I've got all this stuff and I want to reveal that. I want, I want to convince you otherwise. The Bible says that's foolish. That's foolish. If you delight in understanding, you go, okay, this is my position. I feel strongly about it. I can back it up with facts, but you know what? I'm going to respect your position now and see if I can just make my position better with, with some of your nuance that I might not have had before. So, this you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Yikes. Sorry, America, we're losing in this battle. <laughs> we are a nation of outrage. We love it because it, 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 it gives you a dopamine hit, essentially, is what happens to your brain. When you read something that confirms your own bias, and you might even be right, but when you read it, or you, you look at a meme that like, that, that, that like oh, that's so funny because it's so true. You, you, it's a dopamine hit. And so your body doesn't want, your body wants that. And so what God is saying is, that's not what you should be seeking. You should not, you should be slow to anger. You should be, you, 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 the first thing in your mind is, you know what? Maybe they didn't mean it that way. Maybe they didn't. You know, and, and you've been misunderstood before, haven't you? 
Have you ever had a thing where somebody's mad at you and you're like, man, I think they're mad at me. And then you go up to him and you say, are you mad at me? And he said, yeah, you, we were at the store and you didn't say hi. And you're like, what? Oh, you looked right at me. Like, no, I was looking at the cans of soup. I, I, I wasn't, I didn't even know you were there. Right? And you, because you, you, you didn't, you, they, they missed it. Well, how often do we do that to our brothers and sisters and to our neighbors and to people at work where we just didn't seek to understand what was going on? We didn't give them the benefit of the doubt. James is saying this, be quick to hear, be quick to understand, be quick to hear their side of the story. Be slow to try to put your thing on them and don't get upset about it. In other words, be okay in the process of change. God's okay in your process of change, is he not? You've changed, you know, from the time you were seven to now. You've grown. You've matured. You've changed your position on certain things. God was patient with you. This is what he's saying. And then he makes this incredible statement after this. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. The anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. So in other words, when you're sitting behind your computer screen and you're reading an article, or you're listening to something on the news, or you're reading that blog that you love, if you're listening to a podcast and, 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 and you find yourself getting angry, well, that's mostly because that's why you are there in the first place, because you want that feeling and it feels good. Isn't that weird? It feels good to be angry, but it does. You think you might be achieving God's work because you feel angry, but you've done nothing. You've just sat and read an article. It didn't change anything. It didn't change the world. It didn't change the person you don't like. It didn't change anything. And what God is saying is, when you live a life of anger, of things that upset you. Those people that make you angry have control over your life. They're able to control you. My boss, Jay, controlled my sleep. Think about that. Jay controlled my lunch hour. Jay controlled the topics when I'd come home from work and I, my beautiful wife is there and she says, how was your day? I would say, you mean how was my Jay? Right? Was beginning to control my marriage. Jay. This is what God said. No, 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 no. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. Look, if there's an injustice and it makes you angry, go volunteer somewhere and get rid of the injustice. Absolutely do that. But your anger, just the anger of it does not achieve God's righteousness. And there are things to be angry about. I was angry this week about a couple of things. I'm still angry about it. About injustices. But it doesn't achieve the righteousness of God. And so I have to just get on my knees. Let that call to anger be a call to drop to my knees and say, Lord, we have got to see change in this area. We've got to see change here. Lord, how can I? Here's what I want to end with. The question I've had all this time is, can you imagine what our relationships would look like on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, church, uh, work, all that? If we took this posture of, of this humility of mind where we sought first to listen 
And then we were slow to speak and we were slow to get angry. Could you imagine what would happen in your relationships? It starts with you. It starts with me. I can't wait for my neighbor to do this. I have to be first. I can't wait for my boss to do this. I have to be first. You can't wait for insert person here. You have to be first. You clothe yourself with humility like Christ did. 